do not fear. Your God will come. He will come to save you. This is the good news of the gospel. Gospel means good news, and this is it. Your God will come. He will come to save you. Now, okay, to be fair, my contraction of the book of Isaiah may have missed out one or two minor details. Uh, Save us from what? Save us how? We'll get to that. I don't know if you have noticed, but our world is a bit of a mess. You turn on the TV and you see those images from, from the Ukraine, from the Horn of Africa, from Syria, from Libya, from Pakistan, from Myanmar, from Haiti. You see climate change. You see food banks and soup kitchens on our own streets. You see political unrest, you see wars, you see crime, you see greed. You see abuse, you see neglect, you see substance abuse. It is overwhelming, isn't it? I find it overwhelming. I don't know about you. It is overwhelming. You turn on your TV and you see there a desert. You see a world full of hopelessness and bleakness and desolation and despair. Before we get to Isaiah, if I may, I would like to jump back in the Old Testament a bit, in the history of Israel, to Deuteronomy 28, where Moses describes what life is like when we turn our back on God and choose to walk away from him. You will be afflicted with madness, blindness, and confusion of mind. At midday, you will grope about like a blind man in the dark. You will be unsuccessful in everything you do. Day after day, you will be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. You will be pledged to be married to a woman, but another will take her and ravish her. You will build a house, but you will not live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but you will not even begin to enjoy its fruits. The Lord will scatter you amongst all nations from one end of the earth to the other. Among the nations, you will find no rest, no resting place for the sole of your foot. There, the Lord will give you an anxious mind, eyes weary with longing, and a despairing heart. You will live in constant suspense, filled with dread both night and day, never quite sure of your life. In the morning, you will say, if only it were evening, and in the evening, if only it were morning, because of the terror that will fill your hearts. Was Moses speaking to the Israelites all those thousands of years ago? Or was he speaking to us here this morning, to all of the people in the 21st century? Well, the answer is both. This is life under the curse that belongs to Adam, that belongs to all mankind. And it's not any one thing that an individual has done. We are not uh, punished individually for our specific sins, but all are cursed because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is the default state. Anything other than this, anything better than this, is a blessing. 
This is the curse that breaks our relationship with God, with each other, with ourselves, with our dreams, our plans, and our relationship with the very earth itself. The whole of creation is rigged for frustration. Our reading last week was from Romans 8. Chris didn't have time to go into it. But Romans 8 says, for the creation itself was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Did you realize that? The whole of creation is rigged for frustration. This is life under the curse that belongs to Adam. The whole of creation is rigged to frustrate us. Our hope does not exist in our ability to sidestep the curse or to minimize the curse or to reverse the curse. We can't do anything. We just can't do it. It's impossible. We are doomed. But Romans 8 carries on. For the creation was subjected to frustration in the hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Hope. That is what we are talking about. That is what we're talking about this morning. And we are not talking about a vague hope, like that England might win the football. Ouch! We are not talking about a vague hope, like hoping that you might win the lottery. No. This is a sure and certain hope of the promise of God's. And what is that promise? It's right here in Isaiah. Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come to save you. If the only part of Isaiah that you have heard is this passage this morning, and maybe the occasional traditional Christmas reading, then you may have the wrong impression of the book of Isaiah. We get the wrong impression because most of the time, the book of Isaiah is only wheeled out to be read by children during Advent. But the book of Isaiah is not a book of nicey-nicey Christmas readings that you can go, Ah, two. <laughs> 30 of the chapters up to this point paint a picture of hopelessness and bleakness and bloodshed, of desolation and death and despair. It speaks of a world where cities are destroyed, where crops lie dead in the field, where predators roam the streets to feed on the dead and the dying, where blood flows like rivers and people cry out for death because it is better than life. But, but, in the midst of this, in the midst of this bleakness and desolation and despair and death, Isaiah gives us incredible glimpses hope. This is the context of those classic Christmas readings like Isaiah 9. 
Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And Isaiah 7, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. In the midst of this bleakness and bloodshed and desolation and despair and death, Isaiah tells us exactly where to look for our hope. Look for a baby. In fact, he goes further and puts a name to this hope, to this person. Emmanuel, literally, God with us. Not God puts things right in an abstract sense. Not uh, God whips us into a shape from afar. So God whips, whips us into a shape from afar. But God with us. Have you ever stopped and thought how monumental that statement is? The God of the universe comes into his own creation to be with us. It is impossible to comprehend exactly you know, just how big the universe is, is, let alone explain how big it is. So I've actually put together a video to give you an idea. Alan, if you could. Amazing, isn't it? To put that in context, that final image of the boundary of the measurable universe is 2.5 quintillion times further than the distance between the Earth and the Moon. That's 2.5 billion, billion times further than the distance between the Earth and the Moon. It is mind-blowing. And the God who made it all, who made all this, who by definition was outside all of this, who was before all of this, came right inside his creation to be with us, right inside. 
He whom the Bible describes as flinging the stars into space by speaking them into being. He whom it describes as speaking the separation of the sky and the sea and the earth. He who announces life and light. This God chose to come as a baby born of a virgin mother. The Lord of all creation, the master of the universe, God himself made himself utterly dependent on mankind. Or I should say, probably say womankind to start with. He came, a baby in a virgin's womb, followed his own rules of nine-month gestation period, and then lived the years that it needed in order to grow to become a man, all so that he could lay down his life, lay down this life that he took up, in order to change our destiny, to turn around everything that we had messed up in our lives and in our history and give us a new beginning. And that changes everything. I have been lucky enough in my life to look out over the Sahara Desert, and it is not a joyful place. Absolutely awe-inspiring, yes. Breathtakingly beautiful beyond belief, totally. There are many adjectives that I could have chosen to describe the experience, but joyful, it would not be one of them. The desert does not rejoice. But in God, even the desert will be glad. The barren wilderness will rejoice. In the presence of its maker, it will burst into bloom and shout for joy. The presence of the Lord changes everything. It's a metamorphosis. The eye of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like young deer. The mute tongue will shout for joy. It's a transformation. Deserts are blooming. People are being restored in every way. Physically, mentally, spiritually, relationally. In every way they are being made into the people that God knows they can be. The curse that belongs to Adam is lifted. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. The Messiah, the Christ, has come. Emmanuel, God with us. It changes everything. And then you turn on the TV and you see those pictures from the Ukraine, from the Horn of Africa, from Syria, from Libya, from Pakistan, from the food banks and soup kitchens on our own streets. You see the desert. You see a world full of hopelessness and bleakness and desolation and despair. If anything has changed, it sure doesn't feel like it sometimes. And this is not a new sentiment. Even John the Baptist, when he was locked in his prison cell, uh, sent his disciples to ask Jesus the question, 
Are you the one, or should we wait for another? Even John the Baptist, the voice who had cried out in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Even John the Baptist worried that he had been misled by a mirage. When this question was put to Jesus, Jesus' answer was simple. He quoted from today's passage, from Isaiah 35. Tell him what you see. The eyes of the blind are opened. The ears of the deaf are unstopped. The lame leap, leap like deer, and the mute tongue shouts for joy. In more words than necessary, he was saying, tell John, I am the one. Observe the fulfillment of prophecy. The Messiah is here. Everything has changed. But just because everything's changed, it doesn't mean, didn't guarantee that the suffering in the world was going to end just yet, or that John or anyone else was going to find instant comfort and joy. Jesus goes on to speak to the crowds and declares that John is the greatest prophet ever born in Israel, or anywhere else for that matter. And yet John would endure suffering, imprisonment, a violent death uh, before receiving any kind of comfort and joy. How do we make sense of that? If the coming of the Messiah was meant to change everything, was meant to be the fulfillment of all of God's promises, then why don't we, God's people, find the comfort and joy that we were expecting, the comfort and joy that we were supposed to get? I don't have time to take a deep dive into that today, but we get a partial answer in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. The coming of the Messiah is not the end, but it is the beginning of the end. James says that it's like a farmer planting crops. The seeds have been planted, but now we must wait until the harvest. While we find comfort and joy in knowing that the crops have been planted, we must still wait patiently for the, uh, for the, until the harvest. In the same way, we are comforted in knowing that God has already begun to fulfill his promises. The Messiah has come. We do find comfort and joy in Christmas. But at the same time, as the farmer must wait for the autumn rains, we must continue to wait patiently for the coming of the Messiah. On that day, we will receive unimaginable gifts of comfort and joy. But until then, we understand that life will still be full of pain and suffering. And this is what Isaiah is alluding to here in verses 8 to 10. We are not yet home. We are still in the desert. But the coming of the Messiah, 
the dawning of Emmanuel has placed us on a highway through it. No more do we wander aimlessly through the sand dunes, being misled by mirages and waiting for the jackals to pick us off one by one. No, before us is the highway of holiness. It's for those whom Christ has redeemed. He has paid the toll. He has made the way. And one day, if we stick to the highway, it will lead us to Zion, to God's eternal city, to our forever home. Where everlasting joy will crown our heads. There, gladness and joy will overtake us. Some translations say overwhelm us. In the desert, there is no joy to be found. But in Zion, in our forever home, it will come over us like a wave, like a tsunami of gladness. Uh, We will never be able to outrun the comfort and joy which is the blessing of Emmanuel. And in the face of this tsunami of gladness, there is no place for sorrow and sighing. They will simply be washed away. Christmas is the celebration of the greatest, most mind-bending event which has ever, ever taken place. God Almighty entered into his own creation to take sadness and sighing away from us and to overwhelm us with gladness and comfort and joy. No wonder those who saw the Christ child raised their voices in song and praise. Mary sang, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. Zechariah proclaimed, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. The angels sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, Peace to men on whom his favor rests. And Simeon said, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This Christmas, how will you add your voice to that great chorus of praise? We are not yet at Zion. We are still in the desert. But the great highway of holiness is laid out in front of us. Our eyes do not yet see Zion, but we see the cross and see that he has made a way. Our eyes do not yet see Zion, but we see in front of us a highway of holiness. We see the highway that has been made for us. The part of the promise we can see has been fulfilled. So why should we doubt the part of the promise that we do not yet see? 
Let's rejoice as we patiently walk that highway of life. Let us raise our voices in songs of praise and let us bring joy to the desert as we cross it. Let us bring light to those dark places. Bring the sure and certain hope to the hopeless, helping them to burst into a bloom and rejoice. These are our tidings of comfort and joy to the joyless desert. Christ has come. Everything is different now. Be strong. Do not fear. Because God has come. He has come to save you. Emmanuel, God is with us. Hallelujah.